Yo, what is going down, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecrack's movie podcast. Show me the meaning! Show me the meaning! Was that, was that, that your was shirt? Kind of my <laughs> and this was James Bond Sorry. I didn't know. You know, that's like the, ba-da, when he gets shot. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, there we go. You kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, well, this is going to be an interesting episode because uh, this week we are going to be talking about a James Bond film. Is there any meaning in these films? I mean, I'm sure there's well, plenty gonna, of stuff we're gonna that we find can get it out. into. Yeah, that's what we're here we're to gonna find it out. So I'm joined by the show me the show me the meaning crew. As always, we got Raymond. Hey, everybody! Nice to be here. And we got Ryan. Sup, film fans. And I'm Austin. Um, like I said, we're going to be talking about James Bond this week, kind of as an in-memoriam for the passing of Sean Connery, who passed away last week at Rest the right peace, age baby. of 90, 90 years old. He so, had a good run. Um, he had a good run. He had a good run. Um, so we're going to kind of talk about maybe his most iconic film, definitely his most iconic character. We're going to be talking about Goldfinger, the third installment within the James Bond franchise. Actually, the third installment in three years. They used to really churn these things out, and I feel like that's something we could kind of talk about too, Raymond. Really interesting how they kind of did production. They actually did four in the first four years, and then it was just like one every couple of years, and they really used to pump these bad boys out. But it stars Sean Connery as Bond and Honor Blackman as Pussy Galore, who probably has the most iconic name in the history of the James Bond franchise outside of Bond 007 himself. Dude, when, 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 I, I thought that that was an Austin Powers joke for sure when I, when I first saw Austin Powers. And then when I actually watched uh, uh, the movie years ago, Goldfinger, I was like, wait, that's really her name? Uh, yeah, it's a lot, a, a lot, a lot of vagina. Oh, right? that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, still, yeah. Uh, uh, but which, it, yeah, which there is, is bare, there's one crazy. degree, there's one degree yeah. of difference between this and, <laughs> and Austin Powers. These movies are just self-parody at a certain point. Yeah, uh, I mean, apparently the American censors wanted to change it to Kitty Galore, but um, they had already been using the name. Uh, pussy galore so much in the lead up and honor blackman is you know a, a famous actor in her own right so they'd already been using that so much in the advertising and the lead up to it that they decided to keep it and then they think maybe because sean connery's accent he kind of says pushy um rather than making it actually sound like it's the p word right um so he said pushy so they're kind of like oh well maybe we can let it slide because it sounds like pushy rather than pussy so i don't know just a little a bit of information out there who knows about the folklore but it let's get in pushy? Pushy, pushy galore. I don't know. Um, but let's get into first first impressions before we get into the recap. Ryan, since you had a week off, we'll start with you. First impressions of this film, maybe first impressions of Bond. Maybe talk a little bit about your experience with Sean Connery and Bond, and then we'll talk specifically about what it was like to revisit this film. Um, I uh, have have as a huge movie buff have not seen as many Bond films as I would have liked to have seen. You know, I had I had seen this one before, so it was nice to revisit it. Um, and I think that this is one of the best Bond films. I'll just go out and say that I really love this movie hmm. as a Bond movie. It's really twisty and turny, uh, but uh, uh, like I guess all of them are. But I don't know. It has a, a momentum and stuff. And I love Goldfinger himself as a and, and all <laughs> all of them. Goldfinger, Odd Job, Pussy Galore. Those are truly three iconic. Uh, uh, people in the in the bond verse so anyway Definitely. i love i love 
watching it this time. And 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 it really is a. I love the whole concept of the villains. Uh, plan is to go and make all the gold radioactive at Fort Knox. Something about that is yeah, yeah. very Bond, like like very cliche Bond villainy, but it works for him. Yeah, what did y'all think definitely. Raymond, what about you, brother? Oh uh, well, I mean, I watched all these movies as a kid, hundred times. They were always playing on TV. It's funny this kind of coincides with Thanksgiving because there's always a big Bond marathon on TV during Thanksgiving as well. Hmm. And uh, this kind of just came up when we were talking after the last episode, Austin. That you know, uh, Sean Connery just passed away. Like you said, most his most iconic role. And I'm not crazy about this movie. I'm not crazy about a lot of the Bond movies, but this is, to me, I think the quintessential Bond movie, for better or worse. This is the most iconic of any of the Bond films in the series. And Ryan's right. It has, you know, Oddjob, who's one of the most iconic henchmen in the series. It's got the the lady painted in gold at the beginning. It's got the big laser coming right for his crotch. That scene's been parodied a hundred times. Like, to this day, I'd say most of the iconic stuff from, or or, or rather, the most iconic movie in the series has got to be Goldfinger. So that it just made sense to. I'd say. Maybe. Moon, yeah, Moon, Moonraker's got with Jaws and stuff. He's, with Jaws, he's another yeah. really iconic henchman. Um, but as far as uh, Sean Connery's uh, tenure in the series, this this has got to be it. So uh, I, I'd say From Russia With Love has got to be my favorite Connery Bond film. But uh, as, as far as an iconic one that we can count on a lot of our uh, our listeners to have seen, this is probably the best one to go with. And can then we, if, if we're we speaking about... <laughs> I don't know if a lot of people yeah, have seen exactly. Goldfinger can we? right now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. This is, this is definitely... Uh, I, 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 I stand by it. I think this is probably... If not the most widely seen, this is widely parodied and uh, people would know the references. They're just kind of in the zeitgeist the way that like you don't have to see Star Wars to know who Darth Vader is. You sure. Know? Yeah, I feel like with the with the Bond franchise, there are always those moments or characters that are that, that become icons like there's in Dr. No, there's the machine, right? That's like rampaging through the jungle. And then, of course, there's Ursula getting out of the ocean Ursula in her is. bikini. Yeah, and so those are kind of things. I mean, for me, I was a huge Bond fan growing up. My mom used to take me to the public library to rent videos, and I would rent Bond and Star Wars and things like that. So I was a huge Bond fan. This is actually like, again, I, I kind of agree with Raymond. It's not one of my favorites of uh, of, of the Sean Connery or even, let's say, the, the Bond franchise. Um, I actually prefer... Uh, Dr. No, um, I prefer From Russia With Love for Connery. And this is going to be heresy, but I actually am a big Roger Moore fan. The Spy Who Loved Me and For Your Eyes Only, those were like the films that really hit me. I'm a Pierce Brosnan then, And then, of course, are you a Pierce Uh, Brosnan? Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's got their bond. And well, my Pierce bond Brosnan's the one was, we grew was, up with too, so it kind of see. I grew up with Roger Moore. Oh, well, just there you because go. of just because of going to the library. So I think that's it. It's who you grew up with, right? <laughs> um, and so yeah, right. No, no. And, and so uh, I think that kind of has an impact. But so rewatching this was actually an interesting experience for me because I haven't watched it in forever. I used to have a boxed set of the first, like the first four of Connery's films, and I used to watch them a lot. But this was the one that I watched the least, and so I kind of forgot a lot of the plot points. And I kind of got a new appreciation for the film because, like Ryan said, it is twisty and turny, and the plot is so kind of like he's not going to steal the gold. He just wants to make it radioactive, and he's trying to manipulate global currencies. So there were some interesting kind of geopolitical 
themes here too. So I, I did have an appreciation for it on this watching. But again, um, of the the Bond films, this isn't my favorite. But there's a lot of stuff here to chew on because there's so much Connery in capital letters in this film. And I think that is kind of obviously if we're doing a sort of in memoriam, that's kind of interesting. And there are a lot of interesting themes to explore with the character of Pussy Galore, the kind of in a post Me Too world, what's it like to watch yeah. James Bond? There's, that there's that some scene. Stuff in this one. Yeah, that scene where he forces the kiss on her. And then, interestingly enough, I'm just gonna throw this out there, maybe like Baba Duke, but uh Pussy Galore has become a queer icon in her own right. So there's so much stuff to talk about. So, first things first, let's get into a recap, and then we will jump into unpacking all of this stuff. All right? So, Goldfinger. What is it? It's a Bond film. It's Bond doing Bond things. There are bad guys. There's beautiful women. There's more bad guys. There's more beautiful women. The main guy, the main bad guy has a plan for world power. James has to stop him while also seducing a couple women along the way. Of course he stops the bad guy, and he gets the girl at the end. That's the film, right? But here, let's talk about the actual plot. Oh, I thought that was your recap. Just a little bit. (laughs) Okay, so in Miami, Bond's superior M and CIA agent Felix Leiter recruit Bond to observe notorious bullion dealer Goldfinger who's cheating at cards. Bond finds out that Goldfinger has a woman using binoculars to spy on his opponent's cards and feeding him info via an inner ear monitor. So Bond puts a halt to all that, seduces the woman, and then when Goldfinger finds out, he tracks them down and he paints the woman entirely in gold and she suffocates and dies. Back in London, Bond learns that someone, Goldfinger, is manipulating global gold prices, so he's given a badass Aston Martin and some gadgets so he can put a stop to all of this. He arranges to play golf with Goldfinger, where there's some cheating and some gambling over a Nazi gold bar, and after Bond wins because Goldfinger cheats, Goldfinger warns Bond not to mess with him. Then he lets Oddjob, his jacked Asian henchman, show off his hat-throwing skills that can kill a man. Bond continues tracking down Goldfinger, leading them to Switzerland, where Bond encounters the sister of the woman who died from skin suffocation. She's trying to avenge her sister by killing Goldfinger, but Oddjob kills her, and then Bond gets captured. But just before Bond is lasered in half, he informs Goldfinger that he knows about his big plan— Operation Grand Slam. So Goldfinger lets him live, thinking that Bond is worth more alive than dead. Then, when Bond is being transported by plane to Kentucky, he meets the now iconic Pussy Galore. He tries to charm her, but she rebuffs his efforts, claiming that she's immune to his charms. While in Kentucky, on a stud farm, Goldfinger reveals the details of Operation Grand Slam. He's going to release nerve gas in Fort Knox, killing everyone inside, but not so he can steal the gold, but rather he wants to merely contaminate the gold supply with a dirty bomb so that it will be worthless for the next 58 years, making his gold supply increase in value tenfold. He then warns Bond that any attempt to locate the bomb beforehand will result in more explosions taking place at important sites around the country. Operation Grand Slam starts in Pussy Galore's flying circus. They spray their nerve gas all over Fort Knox, but what Goldfinger doesn't know is that that Crafty Bond's charms have in fact worn Pussy Galore down, and she's now on his side. Pussy and her circus switched the nerve gas with a harmless chemical so that the American troops can go after Goldfinger and his men. Inside Fort Knox, Bond has to defeat Oddjob by electrocuting him to death so that he can stop the dirty bomb. And with only seconds left before the bomb detonates, U.S. troops enter the vault and a specialist disarms the bomb, saving the precious gold supply, you know, to protect the Anglo-American empire and its hegemony over global economy. That's just a theme alert, by the way. Uh, Later, 
Bond is sent to have lunch at the White House, but his plane has been hijacked by Goldfinger with Pussy aboard. Bond and Goldfinger fight, and Goldfinger's gun goes off, shattering a window, causing the plane to crash. Goldfinger is sucked out of the plane, but Bond and Pussy parachute to safety. While on the ground, there's a rescue helicopter that searches for survivors, but Bond calmly and coolly as ever pulls the parachute over him and Pussy while kissing, declaring, This is not a time to be rescued. Because, you know, they got to hook up. And that's the end of the adventure. But before we continue, I want to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Storyblocks. If you're a weekly listener, then you already know that Storyblocks is an awesome subscription service that gives you access to high-quality, royalty-free video, audio, and images. Once you download an asset, it's yours to keep for personal or commercial use. You can pick a subscription plan based on your needs, and the unlimited option provides you with access to everything, including templates for Adobe programs. Last time we mentioned their new tool called Maker, which helps you edit within Storyblocks. This time, we want to take some time to talk about Restock, their new initiative to commit to providing more BIOPC and LGBTQI plus footage and assets. Look, they understand that everything in their library should reflect the way the world is today. And Restock allows more diverse creators to portray the people and communities that are underrepresented in stock media. So you can check out Restock and everything else that Storyblocks has to offer today by going to storyblocks.com wisecrack or by clicking the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. All right. So let's kick this off by talking about Connery and his legacy as Bond, right? We don't need to talk about like The Rock and other stuff that he's done. Those are, you know, other classics that he's been in. But let's talk about Connery as Bond. Like, is he just, I know Ryan said that his Bond was Brosnan, but is Connery Bond with a capital B-O-N-D? And what do we think about it? Well, I mean, he's clearly the most iconic uh, person who played him. I love the uh, just James Bond in our culture. Just you know the the idea that so many people have played him. There's not really a film franchise like that. What are they on? Like twenty five right now. Um, mm. It's just an interesting thing. It, it has a formula. We like the formula, and it and you <laughs> see it work throughout. Yeah. Throughout the last 40, 50 years, right? So so all the cars are always Yeah, updated. why why does it keep working? Yeah, I mean, dude, cars, uh, uh girls, <laughs> uh, you know, just like explosions. What else do you want in a movie? I don't know. It's like uh it's kind of <laughs> Yeah. The uh, uh they have it down. And and this one this one too, like we kind of mentioned before, this this is the movie. I rewatched the first three uh, Sean Connery ones leading up to this. I rewatched Dr. No and from Russia with love before popping in Goldfinger. And this is the one that for better or worse codifies that formula. This is like you said, Ryan, mm. this is the car and the girl and the gadgets right. and the henchman, the cartoonish henchman, the, the underground layer, like every single spot on the bond bingo card is filled by this yeah. movie. And it wasn't until like, probably like the Timothy Dalton, those two pictures where the movies kind of like pulled away from the camp a little bit. Um, that, that formula was really, really entrenched like through the Roger Moore era and stuff. But you, you bring up the question of like, is Sean Connery the best bond? I think that, well, like like we've established, he's he's the one who laid down the rules. I I, I really don't um, 
you know, some people may uh, may get mad at me for this because they are such a departure from the series, but I really like uh, Daniel Craig. I think he's great in those movies. Oh, yeah, he's and awesome. I, I, yeah, I think Casino Royale is a re- maybe the best movie in the series, at least for me. But I, I can admit it's not much of a Bond movie. It's got more in in uh, in common with like the Jason Bourne franchise and stuff like that. But as far as folks committing to being Bond, I don't know if you've ever read about uh, George Lazenby's uh, work on uh, her, uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is a totally underrated Bond film. So by underrated. The way. I think I think it's really really good. He's not a good actor because he's just a pretty boy model. But the fact that they go to like all those that like that snow base where they're the, up, I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and the the uh, the the race scene or the chase scene, excuse me, is is phenomenal. And I think there's a it's lot great. of stuff in the Lazenby uh, piece that's it's a little bit more self aware than either Connery or Roger Moore's work was. But uh, behind the scenes of that movie, George Lazenby was like, well, I'm going to be Bond. I'm going to live like Bond. And he went on like a year-long bender of just drinking (laughs) constantly, fucking anything that moved. And the dude just completely burnt himself out in the course of preparing for and and doing that movie. And uh, ultimately, they they didn't get a great return on that at at the box office. And uh, he also was kind of problematic on set. So they brought Connery back for one uh, one more trip around the woodshed. But um, it's uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see how each subsequent actor has uh, has approached this role, and I don't think anyone departed from it too drastically until, like I said, the the Timothy Dalton ones are a little bit darker in tone. Yeah, they're dark. Yeah, they're dark. And then some of the Daniel Craig ones went a little dark, have gone a little oh, dark too. Like Casino yeah. Casino Royale, like you said, I don't think it's a Bond film. It's amazing because it's a it's a prequel in a lot of ways, right? It's the it's um, the first book that uh, Ian Fleming wrote. Yeah, and and I personally think that that's the best movie in terms of the film, the acting, the way it's done, the the writing. I mean, I love Vesper. I mean, my God, she is amazing in that. Um, obviously, Mads Mikkelsen is fantastic. The the way that the film is constructed, I think, is is amazing. And it's got all the, uh, the iconic stuff, the gadgets. You know, he, like, punches... When he's like sick and dying after the uh, after the, the oh, poker game, and he like did the adrenaline, and it's like and he can like monitor his heart and shit like that. Like he's got the gadgets, he's got the cool car, it's got it's got all the stuff, but it doesn't feel campy, it doesn't feel cheesy. And there's that torture scene where he's getting his nuts slammed um, by Nichols, right? And, and it, so there's darkness in the, this the as well. The villains really stepped up their game from in Doctor No, where they just <laughs> release a tarantula in the guy's room and just hope for the best. <laughs> like they they really stepped it up for the using a knotted rope to wail on Daniel Craig's beanbag. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You guys were kind of uh, touching on uh, the 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 change of tone throughout the years, and and I honestly think that that just subconsciously is a reason that Sean Connery's has stuck throughout the, throughout the years is is not only you know obviously a, a prerequisite for a James Bond is you got to be charming right but he is charming but also kind of funny you know he has a sense of humor like he's he's kind mm, of cracking cheeky. little yeah cheeky he's that's the cheeky, perfect yeah. word for for Sean Connery's yeah. uh, uh, portrayal he's a cheeky spy and and that is kind of i think we've kind of lost that with especially with daniel craig you know but uh uh and pierce Brosnan was a little cheeky but uh more charming and hunky i'd say i don't know uh uh, uh, yeah no one else has has quite done the arrogance to the degree that yeah and and, and to the point that like it 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 does reach uh you know there are a lot of jokes and a lot of parodies of the and spoofs of these movies like uh austin powers and stuff where 
everyone makes the 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 hack gags about how the the henchmen will put them in extraordinarily easily escapable situations but no one really talks about how incompetent bond is too and how he just glides by on the incompetence of his enemies and to the to, to that point like the arrogance of sean connery the first fucking thing he does when he walks into a room full of enemies and go yeah that's me i'm here to fuck you guys up like in this movie he he goes up to uh jill uh i can't remember her last name in the movie but when she's when she's cueing Goldfinger in the card game, and the first thing he does is he goes straight up to the radio and he goes, "Goldfinger, your goose is cooked," or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> hey man, maybe maybe you can play your cards a little closer to the chest. Oh, and and, and then it, it, it ends with him like taking her her reclining chair and like pushing it to him and stuff. And obviously, so I got out. I got out a stopwatch for that scene from the moment that Sean Connery uh, announces his presence on that balcony to the moment that they kiss is two minutes and 22 seconds. He's a quick And in that time, guy. his entire interaction with the woman is verbally abusing her, threatening her, endangering her life by giving up her uh, giving up the game with the uh, the cards. Uh, he insinuates that she's a sex up. worker, mm-hmm. and then she says, "I love you," or whatever. And then the next scene, they're in bed together, and the well, and scene then, after and that, then, she's dead. And then, it, and then it leads to her being killed. So it, was, it wasn't <laughs> exactly rude. like he res- he rescued her either. This guy has you know? no like, fucking plan. Just, <laughs> um, yeah, so we can talk a little bit. There's some stuff that we can definitely get into about some of the kind of like problematic elements and things like that that I think are interesting to explore. But one of the things I did want to say is like there's something that works about Connery and that works about this film. It's we were all talking about his charm and his ease and I feel like he's just entirely unflappable. Like no matter what, every situation that he's in is his situation. So I think that there's something unique about Connery's ability. It's this confidence, man. It's that nothing, no bad guy is ever uh, too competent or uh, too formidable, that no woman is ever out of reach, that no situation is ever too dangerous, that no plan is ever too like unnavigable, um, that no fucking anything, no piece of equipment is uh, can't be figured out. Like everything is is something that is under his control at all times. And that's something that Connery just exudes in every single scene. Like even the bit when he's making out with the woman in the, the opening the opening scenes and the guy with the bottle is gonna attack him and he just comp like like uh, just casually after he's like making out with her and after she gets smacked on the head he's kind of like oh, it's a shame you know like it's a bummer but like whatever <laughs> on to the next he's a fucking psychopath you know uh, <laughs> he is a psychopath oh, for there's sure. no one no one who and this is I mean this is common of like Reagan era action <laughs> movies too but the the, the one liner after murdering people like in this one it's odd job yeah, yeah. He, gets, he, he shocks him and then he, he goes shocking positively shocking, I'm shocking. Like, you just yeah, murdered yeah, yeah. a guy like can you take a second dude the uh, uh yes. the, the relentlessness of just how he's so good at his job you know uh, uh, it's almost part that that's kind of part of the game and why we like James Bond too. It's kind of like no matter what situation, crazy situation that we see them set up, we're like, okay, James Bond will not die at the end of this movie. <laughs> that's one thing we all know. Yeah. So anything we see, it's like, how is he going to get out of this? It's always how you're, uh, what you're wondering. That's, that's it. fun. And, um, yeah, because it's always the how magician. it's not if, yeah, it's the how, yeah, it's you never, if, it's, it's the how. 
That's why we like the gadgets. That's why we like the convoluted because it's never like that. He's, which is why I really like Casino Royale because you actually see Bond as being vulnerable, right? Like you, a- you actually see that, fuck, man, he might actually die. He's not unflat. Roger Moore's Bond takes this. Roger Moore takes this to the extreme where he like never even messes up his hair. You know, well, like Roger he's Moore almost also too... he falls out of orbit and hits like a carnival tent or a circus tent and that saves him or so. Like they they get pretty cartoonish in most movies. Yeah, I can't remember like exactly. almost too I, or Maybe that happens to one of the bad guys, but I'm, I, I think that might be Jaws. I'm thinking of, but they they get out of control. I love uh, uh, Casino Royale too, but I'm not a and, and the formula we were talking about before that works so well. Right. It's kind of like, I guess after a while, after 30, 40 years, you're like, all right, let's definitely, let's try and switch it up and stuff. But I don't know if I need to see a vulnerable emotional bond, to be perfectly honest. I like the fact that it, I like the campiness. I like the, the, the just like the cartoon character that is James Bond. Like, I don't need to see a real, the real feelings and characters of if this guy was really existing. Nobody is like this guy. You know, this is guy. It's like Fast and the Furious or something. Uh, it's just we want to see the cool, the different cool gadgets and the stuff. I guess maybe Fast I'm and the being Furious too... is, a, is a good. No, that's a good comparison for modern film series because that also has all the globe trotting elements, and yeah. it's it, it's one of those things where like this guy, for all intents and purposes, is a superhero. Um, especially in these early movies and the the, the Daniel Craig ones humanize him a little bit more but I do love that about the Fast and Furious movies that it's like uh, by day normal person behind the the, the wheel of a car they are (laughs) fucking unstoppable like that's even a line in one of the movies I think the rock yells don't ever let them get in a car it's like (laughs) like, you can shoot a car (laughs) you can blow up a car I don't know man you've seen those movies right. All right, let's before we uh, move on to further things, we do have a sponsor that we want to give a shout out to. It is Shudder. And I'm not saying that with a T, but in the American D, it's Shudder with two Ds. S-H-U-D-D-E-R. Shudder is the world's premier streaming service for horror, thriller, and supernatural content. It's spooky 24-7, 365. So look, just because Halloween's coming past doesn't mean that the scares don't have to continue or that they don't get to continue because you can sign up for Shudder and get access to the largest collection of acclaimed horror movies and series streamed right now to your favorite devices. They have exclusive titles coming this season. Um, You can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense, and it's only $5.99 a month, which is basically $56.99 a year. Um, And you'll get unlimited access to stream ad-free on all your favorite devices. That's iPhone, iPad, Apple TV, Xbox One, Amazon Fire TV, Google Chromecast, Roku, Android devices. I don't even have half of these things, but we live in a kind of multifaceted world, so everybody is covered. Um, And real quick, I just want to draw attention to one particular title that Shudder has. It's actually coming out on the 19th, which I believe is today. Um, or at least in my time zone, it's today. But by the time this comes out, it'll be for all of you. And if you're watching live, it's the 19th. Um, but it is Leap of Faith, which is uh, the subtitle is William Friedkin on The Exorcist. Now, go to YouTube. If you are a fan of The Exorcist, watch the trailer for this. It is freaking awesome. It is William Friedkin talking about 
how he came up with the idea of this film, what he wanted to do while filming this movie, and it looks so friggin' gripping. So go to the YouTube, watch the trailer, go to Shudder, click on the link for the trailer, and you can check it out. It's exclusively on Shudder, but I think that this is freaking fantastic, so check that out. So if you want to try Shudder for free and get access to this huge selection of content, extensive international library, all kinds of genres and types of movies from classics to modern favorites, um, go to Shudder, that's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use the promo code SHOWME, and you will get a free 30-day trial. That is, you'll get a free 30-day trial if you go to Shudder.com S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use the promo code SHOWME. Alright, let's get into other themes. Let's talk about pussy. I'm sorry, pussy galore. Okay, yeah. Uh, what, what do we think about her? Like, I said at the beginning that she's become a kind of queer icon. And now let me explain that really quick. The reason is because she rebuffs Bond's advances. She isn't just kind of a passive go-along, but rather she's somebody who is um, got an autonomy. She's got an she's got a strength on her own, and she seemingly kind of exhibits a sort sort of confidence. Now, of course, she does kind of give in to his charms a little bit. It seems. Um, but there is something interesting about her. So why is she so amazing? Do we like her? Do we not like her? What's what's good about uh, about Pussy Galore here? She's great, but wouldn't you say a lot of the Bond girls are kind of very assertive and, and have their own thing going on and are making independent decisions? Am I crazy? Up, up until this I'm, point in the series, not so much. Um, I, and I think that... Uh, you know, you, you we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but one of the things that makes uh, that that scene in the barn where it's, I mean, uh, essentially an assault. Um, one of the things that makes that stand out even more is that she is probably the the first female lead in these movies who, uh, you know, a generous description of their relationship dynamic is that she's playing hard to get. But I mean, she she rebuffs him several times. I mean, it's. It's uh that that scene was uh, a little bit a little bit tough. I'd completely forgotten about that before uh, this rewatch. Yeah, I I was I, I so I actually shared a clip of it on my Insta, right? And I said, "Cringy or is this just like James doing James things?" And I got an onslaught of comments, right? And it was a lot of like, "Yeah, fuck this. I can't believe this. This is kind of crazy. This is actually surprising. It's way more forceful than I thought, etc., etc., etc." And one of one of the commenters mentioned that you know, the real issue isn't so much because, you know, she does give in at the end and she, she quote, enjoys it. The real problem is what this commenter was saying was, is what this does is this reinforces this idea that really women really want it. Yeah. Um, you just kind of have to force it never the issue. That far. Yeah. Right, exactly. And that they really want it and that all you have to do is just tell them to loosen up a little bit and just give in to, you know, what they really want. And that, that, every, that every man is really like James Bond. We just have to force the issue so we can crack the nut so you can kind of get into it. And that's, the, that's like the real problem. And I, I had a couple of people comment on both on Twitter and on Insta to similar things to that effect. That's reinforcing that type of kind of forceful yeah. uh, predatory behavior. And, and that's the, the, the shitty thing about that scene specifically is like, I, I think we've all made our peace with the fact that like, um, I don't know, misogyny is essentially the, the middle square on the Bond bingo card. And you can kind of 
pass some of that stuff off that oh it was a different time and stuff like that but i mean that that scene i i I mean i may be forgetting other stuff in later bond movies but that to me seems like the only time when it really it goes beyond the pale well it it, it was pretty upsetting yeah i mean that shit and he smacks her on the butt yeah i mean but that that once again is like you, they do that in the original Ocean's Eleven. They, there's, I think, uh, I can't remember which character it is. If it's Frank Sinatra, or somebody says to two women, he goes, "All right, girls, time for your nap," and he spanks them on the butt and sends them out of the room. And it's like, I'm not excusing that, but that is the kind of stuff that you could at least make an argument that, like, there's consent, it's playful, it's blah 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 blah. It was the time, this, that, and the other. But like, the other thing that sucks too, and I, you know, I don't want to slander the guy; he just passed away, but. Sean Connery didn't have the most progressive views. I mean, I don't know if y'all have seen that that interview with Barbara Walters where he straight up says, like, he explains what the correct way of hitting a woman is. Like, he's, he's uh, uh, you know, a guy who's like... And what's, what's insane is that she, Barbara Walters brings it up to him because he said it in a previous interview and she said, do you care to explain yourself? And he goes well, my, my feelings haven't changed. And I think that, you know, if you use an open hand, uh, blah, 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 blah. And that's the thing, like, these movies are trapped in amber. You can't extricate them from the era, once again, for better or worse. And a lot of stuff in old movies, you you can try to take with a grain of salt and things like that. But it's, it's also problematic when you realize that, like, that, I, I mean, A, Sean Connery had some some pretty regressive beliefs as he openly stated b uh i I wouldn't be surprised if i saw a scene not dissimilar from the one uh with him and pussy galore in that barn in a contemporary film because i think there are a lot of folks who would watch that and excuse it away because she does relent at the end of it and then c these books were written by like a total reactionary dipshit fucking yeah i did not know this i just learned this so i read for people that are interested in this i read a little article um i'll tell you the name of it it's in the independent and it's by adam bloodworth from april of 2020 called pussy galore is the queer icon that made me love james bond so um it just kind of talks about some of this stuff that was interesting i didn't realize though in the article, the author talks about this. I didn't realize how homophobic Ian Fleming was. And that originally, Pussy Galore and her circus were, uh, in the book, are um, actually lesbians. But they're denigrated throughout the book and told, you know, that they're sad and they're kind of like pathetic and stuff like that. Um, and so I didn't realize that he had such... Um, what would we, I mean, I, we use the word problematic so much. And I know that people... That was like my, my thing. But fucking wrong deeply yeah. disturbing like sexist what? Yeah. and he, he was also like deeply xenophobic and racist there's there's uh, a description in in the book uh that this one is based on specifically because odd job is a korean character where the, uh i think it's goldfinger in the book just goes in on odd jobs race for about a paragraph and you could say like, oh, well, that's the bad guy saying bad things. But it's like, you don't have to take a whole paragraph out of your book to like <laughs> underline all this shit, man. Like, and he also, I mean, there's one chapter in, in a James Bond book that is just like the N-word. It's like literally it's it says like N-words, N-word habits or something like that. I would have to look it up because I just remember when I was reading these as a kid and just thinking like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it, it just... 
it's uh, I, I I would have to to Google it, but it's really maybe not worth uh, lingering on. I mean, we can all agree different different time. You know, all I'm saying, yeah, just uh, dude was from a different time. Ian Fleming, you know, yeah, like, like and and I am surprised that that uh, uh, the character has endured up till now, like where where we we like he clearly is. I, I, they're clearly stepping back from the womanizing portion of him, you know, like like all the women now are. I don't know. Is there as much sex now in, in James Bond? And what do you guys think about that? Should there be more sex? I think there should be more sex, but but it doesn't mean that it has to be the kind of <laughs> man talk. Get the you know like dominant consensual fucking, sex. Yeah, consensual sex. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's the thing. So I, 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 I put this stuff out on Twitter and Insta, and I had uh, somebody DM me, and this is a woman who is very progressive, very left, and she said, and I asked her, I said, can I share this? I won't share the name, but I did say, can I share this? And she said that she knows that she has very problematic views on James Bond because she says, frankly, she's like, I don't want any of this like Bond reconciling with his trauma kind of shit. She's like, just let the man bone some women and kill some folks with a damn pencil, damn it. And then later on she says, I totally realize that I am advocating for toxic masculinity and sexism, but she doesn't really have any explanation for it. She just kind of was like, look at this is just the vibe, man. Like, just let Bond do the thing. So I also know that there are going to be different opinions on things. Amen. So I... See, th- that is exactly my opinion is, is like, like, look, I don't think Bond has to be overtly sexist and stuff, but there should be a place in culture for a man's man movie. Okay. You know, and you should let the man's man movie exist and, and you don't have to dissect it and, and, and water down the man's man well movie. here's a man's yeah here's i don't a have a problem with like manly man I've movies a... but like I, I i i mean a movie that a movie that like paints this guy as a protagonist when he's like flagrantly assaulting people I, I mean, sure yeah I yeah i mean that, this, mo- this movie would not be made today and it, if it got made today people would be pretty pissed i think you know like like you guys oh, were yeah. kind of alluding to Oh, yeah. But, I mean, you can have a manly man film like The Grey with Liam Neeson. I think that is a film about, like, masculine poetry. He's a man, but at the same time, there's also some romantic... It's a great movie, and he's a man in nature. Yeah, that's a good one. But he's a man, and he's out in nature, and there's this metaphysical wolves, and he's dealing with, like, reality and suffering from his, his loss, but at the same time, it's still a dude surviving. And that's okay, because that... That toxic element isn't there, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Exactly. It is possible is what we're saying. Right. Right? To do these types of things. To explore. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at look at the plays of Sam Shepard, right? Like, he explores masculinity in ways that are uh, important and productive and interesting without going into, like, just reproducing power structures and shit like that. Yeah, yeah I guess the, the thing that just uh, sticks with me with with this character in these early movies specifically is like, I know that these are coming from a guy who's a fucking asshole and that it's Ian Fleming. the yeah. character's kind of portrayed by a guy who is uh, a bit of an asshole. So it's like, I don't really know that there's a lot of introspection coming out of the bond camp after this. It's just one of those things where, like we said, you know, you, you, you change with the times and stuff. Well, introspection is kind of like, you know, these movies are spy action you know, 
like we've said, they're blow up shoot 'em up movies. There's not much to introspect about at the end of the day, like we said at the very beginning of this. <laughs> you know. Well, so here's the thing. This is the one theme that I was going to mention that I thought was really interesting, and then uh, we got to kind of move on to some other things. Uh, but let's maybe we can talk about this. Um, so Goldfinger, remember this bit when he's talking with Pussy Galore, and he's like, "What are you going to do with your share of the money? Are you going to go back to London?" This kind of idea that, oh, wouldn't you want to go back? And what does she say? She says, no, I want to go to the Bahamas and I want to basically go back to nature and put up this no trespassing sign and just completely like run away. So there's something about this clash between her position as wanting to kind of go back to nature, but Goldfinger wanting to like control civilization. And I wonder if we could think of that along gender lines too, that the masculine figures are all about society, culture, saving the global economic system, right? I mean, Bond's whole mission is to save the gold standards so that the American, so the Anglo-American empire can continue to flourish, right? Because they don't want China. They literally talk about, they don't want China to come in and like disrupt shit, right? So again, it's about preserving the Western's quote civilization. Whereas the feminine iconic figure, maybe the queer figure, she's the one who's like, fuck it, fuck all of your shit man we're gonna like just go back to nature and just kind of like leave all of that that man shit that 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 like building and erecting towers of babel kind of shit we're gonna leave all of that and we're gonna go away what do we think is there anything interesting there to I, think I, about? I, I, I think goldfinger himself is a very masculine uh villain i mean like like the the whole rummy game at the beginning you see how petty he is like he's literally cheating at cards with this guy and he's already a bazillionaire he has owns all this gold. He just wants to beat this guy at cards to win, even though right. he's cheating. And that's such like a, right. a fucking dude and thing, you know? Like, right. yeah, it's yeah. just like, Oh, I'm a sore fucking like little loser. And, and I'll do anything to win. And whereas pussy galore is just like, let's chill, dude. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's something to that. Also on the masculine, uh, the, the, the very first thing he does when he goes and makes out with that woman that, that betrays him at the very beginning. Remember, she's like, ooh, what's that? And he's like, oh, sorry. And it's like his gun. Total phallic oh, yeah. boner metaphor. Sure. Right? Are we, I mean, obviously. Oh, right? yeah. They, they, <laughs> they put it all out there. right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So then I, my last thing that I want to ask before we kind of move on to the mailbag, we actually have a lot of people who wanted to ask about Borat. So I want to give us enough time to kind of talk about some of those. But the last thing I want to say is we talked about it at the top. They put these movies out in like rapid succession. So can we talk, Raymond and Ryan, especially since this is really your forte, about like the production, about what it was like to put these things together. Um, I don't know if you know much about the history of producing these films with the different, direct- the different directors and things like that. I know all about the Blacklist. Yeah, but can we kind of... Can we talk about that stuff for a minute? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, Ryan, do you have any thoughts on that? Well, this was the first, uh, what's his name? I think it's Guy Hamilton, Hamilton, and he made four of these things. And this is uh, uh, his first big one. And um, and yeah, they they used to have just a conveyor belt of Bond movies. And they were, (laughs) I don't know what happened to what, I I don't know. I I guess it's a marketing thing where they they release them every three to four years now. Maybe it's just a a diminishing return sort of thing. But, uh, but yeah, the the 70s were were ripe for for just every, every, bam, 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 we're going to release Bond movies. And then I think, I want to, I don't know when it started where they got really into getting the car sponsorship stuff. Um, because then, then, because now Bond is essentially the only franchise where there's a whole marketing machine behind 
every Bond movie. These movies, yeah. This series basically invented product placement yeah. in in, <laughs> uh, in movies. Absolutely. Um, th- this one was uh, was uh, I think 1964 when it came out. Okay, uh, right. I got it. Sixties first... and seven, not 70s. <laughs> oh sure, but um, the the first one because these books were you know really pulpy, but they sold extremely well. They kind of took a flyer on it and. Uh, when they did Dr. No, they it had a million dollar budget, did well, they got a good return on it. Then it was $2 million for From Russia With Love. Then it was $3 million from this one. And they brought in Guy Hamilton over Terrence Young because he had some experience with uh, uh, slightly bigger budgets. Um, after this movie, they did Thunderball, which was like, I think had a $7.5 million budget. And to this day is one of the highest grossing films uh, when adjusted for inflation ever yeah um, I, I actually looked that up uh, uh this is number two with uh, almost 600 million adjusted for inflation and then thunderball was like a little under 700 million and, and so they kept just kind of stair-stepping these up and uh I, I think you know ryan like you said they they used to churn these these uh movies out but now it's such a big franchise the budgets are so big it's uh you know it's a much bigger ship to steer and tougher to get going and it's a more hostile film market now especially now but even you know before covid uh because the the new bond film i think was the first major uh motion picture to delay their release for for coronavirus i think um but now it's just you know like anything when when movies get bigger and there are more moving pieces and it, it, it's just tougher to turn them out the way they used to. Well, well and, and, and really, that's. I think it's less to do with that because you could theoretically churn these things, or, or at the very least, film them all at the same time. I think that they did do that with Bond. Uh, the last couple, they filmed. I want to say they filmed two at once. Once, I might be wrong about that. But either way, that's the smart way to an economic way to make movies now nowadays is to film a bunch at once, right? And so, if anyone a little film. Industry history here, everybody. Uh, 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 but but now it literally it's the marketing budget are so astronomical. It, it's oh, yeah. everything is about the poster, the marketing and stuff. So it costs a hundred million dollars just to market your film, no matter what the fucking movie it is internationally. Essentially, if you're making having a big theatrical huge release, so you can't do that every year now. Uh, uh, and especially with the competitive with all the movies, the, the saturation of the market. So. Uh, and expect a, a re- huge return on them because essentially studios have to are in the business of making billion dollar movies. If your movie doesn't make a billion dollars, that is the new benchmark. They don't want anything to do with it. Any of the cool movies that we like, that you know, the little mid tier movies, thirty to sixty million dollars, those are all on Netflix streaming. Forget about them for you know in the future in the, at the theater. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's go ahead, and before we jump into the mailbag, we got to give one more quick shout-out to another sponsor, NordVPN. Look, uh, privacy is an issue online, from the Cambridge, Cambridge Analytica controversies to big data extractions, etc., etc. There's a legit concern with surveillance breaching our privacy. I mean, more than this, personally, I've been bouncing around the world for the past 10 years, so... Lord knows what platforms have been able to access my info from all the random servers I've used at coffee shops and airport lounges and public libraries and whoever knows, like, the public council 
uh, internet that you get. Um, so who knows who has been able to access my info. This is why something like uh, uh, a VPN is so valuable and why NordVPN in particular is crucial because it protects against such worries. More than that, it gives you access to sites that are often regionally restricted as well. So again, if you're somebody who's an international bouncing around, you can access, for example, uh, Netflix or your favorite entertainment websites from being abroad. Nord also um, has super fast servers. There are over 5,200 in 59 different countries, and it protects your data while you're traveling, like I said, in these public spaces. And you get a 30-day money-back guarantee to give them a go. And it's compatible with most operating systems. So if you're Windows, Mac OS, Linux, iOS, Android, etc., etc., user, you can use NordVPN. So in order to take advantage of this precious service, go to nordvpn.com slash showme and use the promo code showme to get 68% off the two-year plan and then get four months free. So again, you get 68% off the two-year plan, four months free if you go to nordvpn.com slash showme and use the promo code showme. All right. So I feel like we've kind of wrapped up our chat about Bond. Let's spend the next few minutes jumping into the mailbag. We got a pretty large amount of emails and voicemails regarding Borat. So these are all going to be about Borat, stuff about Giuliani, stuff about conservatives, stuff about leftism, stuff about making fun of people, all kinds of stuff. First, we're going to start with Rudy, who wants to say something about Borat. Hey, Wisecrack. Uh, this is Rudy from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, the Giuliani thing, the Borat thing, I actually wanted to call you guys because uh, we actually talked about that on a podcast with my friends. And we all had the same kind of conclusion. It was like some of us thought it was very creepy, and others were like, well, that's really manipulated, you know, and the whole, how did he, he it's less creepy because he didn't know, he, uh, Julianne didn't uh, know that she was 15 beforehand. So we all kind of just kind of had our own separate opinions, but then we had to revisit it the following week because I found a clip, and maybe you guys can find it, where Giuliani actually talks about that moment on Fox News on on Kennedy's show. And um, I guess it's called the Kennedy Report or something. But anyway, long story short, he talks about that moment. And what he says is that the second that she asked him to go to the back room for a massage, and these are his words, that she told him that she, she was going to give him a massage, and he went. So there was already a weird implication that he was already ready for something. And he kind of, I mean, he's known for sticking his foot in his mouth consistently. And that's what he said. So it made that, uh, that made that clip just a lot more creepier because he was already expecting something, even if she wasn't 15. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just wanted to put my thoughts on that. And thank you guys for, uh, your awesome podcast. I love listening to you guys every week. Sweet. Thanks, Rudy. I did not know that. Did you guys know that? Oh, about that interview? Yeah. That he said uh, he was going to get a massage or whatever? I, ha I haven't seen the interview, but I've seen that floating around. I didn't have a chance to uh, to verify that. I should have looked up the interview before we recorded. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I guess it comes I, down to the age thing, right? Like, if he knew that she was underage, then it's fucking creepy and wrong no matter what. But if he didn't, I mean, she... Ugh, fuck, I don't know. I mean, I'm no fan of Rudy Giuliani. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me either. I don't want to defend I, the guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I'm not going to stick up for the fucking guy, but... <laughs> You know, when when you watch Borat, like, that scene is very obviously uh, 
manipulated. Yeah, it's very yeah. obviously yeah, manipulated. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, at the end of the day, like I don't, I don't care. Fucking like. all right all right moving on moving on hey by the way i just wanted to give a a quick reminder for people listening if you want to call in you can call in and and leave a voicemail at 213-534-8807 again that's 213-534-8807 let's go on to danny who left a voicemail also about borat Hey, Wisecrack, long-time listener. Um, I just listened to your podcast on the Borat subsequent movie film. Uh, loved your analysis. One thing that I think I uh, heard was, uh, you know, you guys kind of alluded to, you know, how kind some of the characters were, even some of the Trump supporters that you wouldn't expect to. So I think kind of a theme that was going through this movie was seeing good people, uh, where right now it seems like there's a lot of seeing the worst in people. Um, so I was just wondering if you guys could touch on that. Um, my name's Danny. Love the pod. Um, really appreciate everything you guys do and everything you guys talk about. So thanks. Yeah, Ryan, what do you think, brother? Yeah, I, I saw you physically. You physically leaned forward. I feel like you dig. You dig that that remark. I I was pleasantly surprised that there was uh, like actual good, you know, <laughs> for better or worse, redneck, you know, like conservatives in there. Like they were nice guys, you know, like like people that I grew up with. I I know people like that that are nice. That yes, they have views that you probably are questionable, but but they're at the end of the day they have a good heart. And I'm glad that he showed scenes with people like that, and and also showed the scenes of them being cool people. Uh, 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 it, 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 it it was a much more well rounded. Uh, view of people than I think Borat 1 was. That being said, he still does highly manipulative things that are, I would say, ethically questionable, you know, uh, in, ter- in terms of how he edits things. You know, I'm a, like, I, I get, you know, editing these kind of things, but but when you're, I don't know, there's ways to do it where you are making fun of people and not like like actually putting words in their mouth out of context and ruining their life to make them look like the worst of the worst when they're not, uh, which I do think he does some of that and peddles some of that in his body of in whole body of work. But I think that he did less of that in this movie, which I was I'm glad it for. Yeah, he he definitely humanizes his subjects a bit more in the uh, in the subsequent movie film, um, and uh, we we touched on that a little bit before. I think even uh, extending to the the character of his daughter, um, you know, she brings a bit more humanity out of Borat as well. So the the uh, the, the caller uh, may be onto something with that. Yeah. Yes, yes. All right. So now we're going to jump into the email mailbag. Um, so if you want to email us, you can email us movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co. We've got one from McKenna here. McKenna says, hey, Wisecrack, longtime listener, first time writing in, big fan of your work. Wisecrack has introduced me to so much of the content I enjoy today and has really expanded and challenged the way I think about the world. You guys were the inspiration behind my first philosophy class in college, and I loved it. I'm a pre-med student, and now I'm also pursuing a minor in philosophy in part Thanks to you. Anyways, Wisecrack has had a huge impact on my life, and I just wanted to say a big thanks. Now she gets into the, the meat of the thing. First of thank all, you. thank you. You're welcome. We love you. That's amazing to hear. Love you. All right. McKenna says, 
I was excited and yet a little hesitant see, to see you guys were doing Borat. I'm the only conservative in my friend group, and when we watched this, I kept getting pats on the back accompanied with, it's alright, we know you're not like that. It feels like all my media content lately is demonizing conservatives, and I worry that this normalizes a culture where it is morally permissible and encouraged to reduce people to these demonizations. Nowadays, when I tell people that I've known for years I'm conservative, I am, I'm instantly shut down, I'm criticized, and often labeled a racist without even being able to go into what I actually believe and why. Don't get me wrong, I love Borat and I believe that we should hand out more creative hall passes, but I wonder if the oversaturation of this humor is contributing to overall ignorance, divisiveness in our society, and a culture that demonizes people who are different than us, rather than having those challenging conversations and coming to an understanding of each other. At the same time, I can't help but wonder if this was a leftist critique, and or if this was a leftist critique, if it would have been received in the same way at this time. That being said, I laughed my ass off at this film and thought it was hilarious. Big fan in general of that South Park style shock humor and satire. Really looking forward to hearing what you guys think. Keep up the great work. McKenna in Colorado. Thank you. That was a good email. Um, it was a good email. What do you think, Raymond? No, I was just going to say that um, I, I think that there is... I think it's a, a, a project, not to sound too uh, conspiratorial, but it is a project of the ruling class to uh, sort of push this notion that we are all easily divided into you're either red or you're blue or you're left or you're right and stuff like that. And I think a lot of that narrative has to do with uh, trying to pull the spotlight away from the reality that like, well, we, we're we all just people and we have needs and neither party really gives a shit about that. And so, you know, people are divided along these like social or cultural lines or these wedge issues because, uh, you know, no one is actually speaking to their material interests. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's a, a thoughtful email and it's, um, yeah, go ahead, Ryan. Well, I mean, I mean, you think that that's uh, a product like like the ruling class is all is making us p- pitting us against each other. That's kind of your, that's what you think basically. I mean, I think in this in this country specifically, I, I mean, we, you know, we have two parties that just serve capital and they they don't represent the interests of the people at all. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think that failing any kind of uh, actual you know policy that helps people's lives. When the when when one side of the political spectrum says to their followers like, hey, you know, sorry, your life is shit, but at least you can blame these people over here. People are going to be susceptible to that. Um, And, you know, since the Democratic Party doesn't doesn't offer anything to to counter that or to counter that impulse. I understand why people are drawn to that, because when both parties say like, fuck you, you're on your own. I understand why people drift right because the, at least then they have someone to blame or, or at least they they can buy into a narrative even if it's you know a flimsy narrative they 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 still they they uh at least have someone to blame that isn't themselves and you know um, I don't know this this is so far okay. away from if, the movie if, Ryan if you've got if you, if you've got a 10 second response throw it out there real quick and then we're going to we're going to head head into oh, the last Oh man thing. well I, I was just going to say I I, I I think that there's hope for you out there cuz uh, I I I've I've often thought that the, why is there not more conservative or right leaning comedy or or just stuff out there cuz we kind of went over it in the in the pod about Borat about how I think that we as a culture are kind of over shock humor in general, or just we're, we're not as shocked by it. You got to be either really shocking or people are kind of put off by that kind of stuff. 
So I think that th- th- there is a uh, there's a market there that's untapped for people, but but also th- there are people making fun of the left that are on the right that are either a just completely cringy and not funny at all and unsuccessful at at doing it, or or even if they are kind of funny, they get put in that category of oh well this is just right leaning you know, right-wing comedy. And I think that, that, that right. there's going to be somebody that's funny enough to rise above, uh, above the fold. And, and, and I think that we are kind of in this crossroads moment as a, as a culture of, of where we go from here and stuff. And, and if you look at the election, honestly, progressivism was widely rejected across the board, except for the fucking presidential election, you know, and stuff, more people from, um, uh, I would dis- I would disagree with that. No, I'm I'm talking about uh, 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 the the most progressive candidates were uh, uh, lost, like the people that two hundred million dollars went into the election to try and get all of them lost. And then I, I I'm not making a judgment call here. I'm just trying to. And then also they uh, the left lost key demographics. You know, like so it's not. It, it feels like it's lean, the country's going left inevitably. But I feel like, and I'm not saying that the country's going right. But I do think that there is like a bunch of people in the middle going, you both suck. And I want just somebody to tell me the truth, and we're all more like each other than we than uh, than we aren't. And I know that was longer than ten seconds. And I'm well, goddamn it, a whole can of worms, a whole can of worms has been opened up, and we can't comment on this later. But if you have any further thoughts about Borat and all of the problems that we just were talking about, and if you have the solutions, please email us wisecrack at movie. I'm sorry, movies at wisecrack.co. That's movies at wisecrack.co, or you can call us one two one three five three four eight eight zero seven. You can talk about problematic. Bond. You can talk about Pussy Galore as a queer icon. You could talk about Borat. You could talk about the social dilemma. You could go back and talk about Big Boss Baby. Whatever you want to talk about, send us in your thoughts. All right, everybody. Where can we find you on the internet? Ryan, before we sign off and say goodbye. Uh, Ryan's Game Show and Ryan Shorts on YouTube. Putting them out every, putting out Ryan Shorts like every week or so now. So go check me out, baby. Yeah, Raymond, what's up? Uh, you can find me at uh, Crematoria on Letterboxd and Twitter. And, uh, oh, do you uh, mind if I say something real quick, Austin? Um, Take your uh, minute. Yep. Uh, oh, yeah, we, um, uh, we we did this episode kind of as a, a rest in peace or in memoriam for Sean Connery. And I just wanted to shout out, uh, there was someone in my life I lost recently. Uh, I don't want to bring things down on the podcast. He lived a good long life, and I just wanted to take a moment to celebrate him because he wasn't Sean Connery famous. But um, my uh, my film professor out, uh, out here in Los Angeles, uh, Stu Levin, passed away recently. Um, he was a really great guy, uh, incredibly generous film enthusiast, and uh, you know I hope wherever he is, they're they're screening film instead of digital. So uh, rest in peace, Stu, and uh, <laughs> you know, thanks thanks for the memories and all the inspiration. Did he ever write anything that people can find? As does he have anything? Um, you know the the easiest place to find him. He he did a lot of like voiceover acting and stuff like that. But there's a great documentary about uh, Harlan Ellison, the wonderful science fiction writer, and uh, he's one of the talking heads in that. That. Uh, Har- three of Harlan Ellison's best friends are interviewed in that documentary. It's called uh, Dreams with Sharp Teeth. And uh, uh, the three friends of Harlan's are uh, Robin Williams, Neil Gaiman, and Stu Levin. Uh, so Amazing. he's in very, very good company with those gentlemen. Very good company. Well, rest in peace, brother. And uh, thank you for passing on the knowledge wherever you are to many, 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 many generations of young film buffs and creating somebody like Raymond who could come on and 
pass on that knowledge to us. Um, my name is Austin Hayden Smith. You can find me on Twitter, Austin underscore Hayden. You can also hit me up on Insta, AUS underscore H-A-Y. I do a philosophy podcast called Owls at Dawn. We just released our election episode. It's a bonus episode for patrons, but, you know, maybe at some point we'll release it. And plus, we always talk about these kinds of things. So if you really like the political stuff, check out Owls at Dawn, and that's what me and my co-host always kind of bullshit about. But that's the last thing I'm going to say. That's it for us here at Show Me the Meaning. No more problematic Bond talk. No more cool Sean Connery talk. No more talk about pussy galore for now. We're gonna leave. Ryan, what you gotta say, brother? It's not Ryan. The name is Meaning. Show me the meaning. And goodbye from Hollywood, California! Peace.